Welcome to The Independent Entrepreneur, available online at www.indiebizshow.com. My name is Sean Salisbury, and today we're talking with Micah Cover of Micah's Magic. Micah has been a professional magician for over 16 years and has performed at the famous Magic Castle in Hollywood. Micah talks to us today about the business side of being a magician, why having a mentor is a crucial part of any businessman's success, and how he develops his act. And with that, we turn to Micah Cover, who's joining us today in studio. Micah, we start with the same question we ask all our guests, which is, what was your first meaningful job and how would it influence your future career? That's a really good question. The first job that I remember, especially the one that had the biggest influence, was just the first time I got paid as a magician. I was working in a theater, and one of the theater managers wanted to throw a Halloween party, and she knew that magic for me was a hobby, but she asked me if I'd be willing to do some strolling magic for her guests, and I did, and it was the first time that I discovered that maybe I could get paid for this, and that is a huge mental leap for anybody, as you can imagine. Sure. How old were you at the time? I was about 23 years old. I was more or less acting and pursuing acting and writing at the time, and magic was going to be a side business. And lo and behold, years later, it's become my main source of income. So tell us a little bit more about what you do as a magician. How did you become a magician? What attracted you to it? That kind of thing. Sure. Uh, Obviously, to get girls to notice me. (laughs) And one day it will work, so I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully there'll be uh, a part two to this interview. But I first started when I was eight years old. I got my first book from my grandfather, and I was hooked, and I wanted to know more. And it's always been a hobby all the way through college. And then, like I said, starting at around 23, I discovered maybe I I could get paid at this. Uh, There's more to it than that. Obviously, I love the secrecy to it. I love that every time you learn something, there's some new secret to learn. In a way, it's a lot like research, uh, science, that kind of thing. Uh, there's a real allure to it for me, and I really enjoy that aspect of it. Can you tell us about like what kind of magic you specialize in? Because I know there's different kinds of magicians. They do different kinds of tricks, or they, different, they have different kinds of performances or whatnot. Can you tell us a little bit more detail about that? Yeah, that's absolutely right. As a matter of fact, some of your listeners may be familiar with this place called the Magic Castle. It's this uh, place I used to read about when I was a kid on the East Coast, and now I get to perform there, and uh, I'm a member there. And to answer your question, the Magic Castle is separated into pretty distinct theaters. One is the close-up gallery, where the magician performs close-up magic for the audience. And what that means is, uh, as you can guess from the title, it's very close-up. It would include a lot of cards, coins, that kind of thing. It's very interactive. In fact, it's so close-up that the magician has to have two members of the audience sitting on either side at uh, at the table with him or her. And so that's uh, close-up magic. Now the and, And I enjoy that very much. I do that for clients a lot, especially in private parties. There's a larger size, so to speak, of magic called parlor magic. Around the Victorian era, a lot of magicians were invited into wealthy people's homes and to perform in their parlor. They would stand up and perform for a slightly larger group of people, perhaps, than than in a close-up show. And it became what is known as parlor magic or maybe stand-up magic. And that's what I've done at the Magic Castle the most, and I really enjoy it. Usually it includes larger props, 
it can often include things like mentalism and audience participation, but this time they come down and stand with you and, and are a part of the magic, literally. And then finally, there's uh, stage illusions. And in the Magic Castle, there's a place called the Palace of Mystery. And that seats about 120 people that has uh, the bigger stage illusions, uh, the touring acts, people like, if you've heard of these guys, Lance Burton or uh, Jeff McBride might be there with their big stage illusions. And um, there are different aspects to magic, too. Uh, like I said, there's something called mentalism, where you read people's minds. There's something called bizarre magic, where you try to associate it with storytelling and the occult, that kind of thing. And really, it's only limited to your imagination. So let's talk a little bit about the, the business side of magic. Okay. I know that you're kind of a sole proprietor kind of guy. Can you tell us, you know, what is it like to be a magician in, from a business perspective? Are most magicians sole proprietors like yourself, or do they, is there somewhere that they can go and work for somebody? Or tell us about sort of the business side of, of magicianship. Sure. And you know, that is the key question, the the business side of magicianship. I, I think that should be the title of somebody's book, because <laughs> someone really needs to write that. And I am, Sean, I'm trying to answer that question every single day. That's the tough part. You are a very creative guy, and you know that sometimes focusing on the business side can be very counterintuitive. And that's certainly true of me. I've been doing this for about 16 years now professionally, and only now am I beginning to understand how to even approach the business side of the magicianship. And um, it requires a lot of things. Uh, to answer your question, I was uh, doing an interview myself with one of my heroes, a guy named Chef Anton. He was the two-time U.S. pool trick shot champion. And I said to him, how do you become a magician? And he said, well, the first thing you do is you get a business degree. And I will never forget that because it really spoke to to this aspect of magic and, as you say, the business that we often lack. We just don't understand how to approach it. So to answer your question, it involves a lot of networking. I highly recommend finding a mentor of some kind, someone who is at the point that you would like to be. Bother this guy as much as you can without being a nuisance and, you know, uh, try not to make him press charges. But, pick, you know, pick his brain, find out what he knows. And there are some magicians who now, thankfully, have published works on that subject. I highly recommend looking up a guy named Lou Serrano, who literally wrote the book on how to become a successful businessman in magic. It takes a lot of changing your perspectives on things, changing your attitudes, it requires listening to people as much as possible. Uh, like I said, networking and knowing how to do do that. Getting a website, getting a, at least one video or video clip on the internet somewhere so that people can introduce themselves to you at least via the web. Getting good business cards that you are constantly passing out. And then finding entertainment agencies that you might be able to find on the uh, yellow pages if uh, some of you older listeners uh, from you know World War II remember what these things are. <laughs> Um, but, you know, finding websites uh, of agencies and introducing yourself saying, hey, this is what I do. Could you use someone like me? A lot of magicians do have representation, but as any artist or actor knows, it's difficult to find that often they have to come to you. But the biggest thing that I am struggling with and I'm working on that I know a lot of your listeners are too is uh, believing in yourself and believing that you can make it work despite all the obstacles because there will be many. Great, great. So tell us about marketing yourself and your business in particular. I mean, what is your strat marketing strategy? Who is your audience? Who do you market your routine to and that kind of thing? That's a very good question. And there are two sides to this issue. One 
school of thought, one camp says you have to be versatile, especially in this very difficult economic time. You have to be versatile. So, for instance, I open myself up to kids shows. A lot of magicians look down on that. They think they're above that. And you know what? It's a little hard to disagree with them because it can be a thankless <laughs> job. Ask any teacher, man. It can be a thankless job. But I do enjoy it. And so I open myself up to that. That increases the income. I also do tarot readings. I'm also a juggler. I will do balloon sculpting, balloon twisting for the kids as well. I do all kinds of things. And I feel that that opens up the pool of resources for me, of possible work. Now, the second school of thought is the exact opposite, that what I am describing to you is the wrong way to go. What you need to do is find a niche market. You do one thing, you get known for it, and you do it very well. And there are some guys who have skyrocketed with this attitude and with this approach. And I think there is room in this universe for both ideas, especially because I like being versatile and I don't pretend to be the master at just one thing, the best at just one thing. I do think I'm very good at many things. And I think that is part of what makes me unique. Uh, ironically enough, the fact that there are so many things involved make me unique. And I know it sounds strange, but, <laughs> sure. but for me, that's true. So I think a magician should decide who he or she wants to be. Does he want to, he or she want to be versatile and do a number of things such as myself? Or do you want to just focus on that one thing and focus on it like a laser? And there are a lot of arguments for both. And I hope that answers your question. No, absolutely. That's terrific. <laughs> cool. So tell us, uh, kind of back to the magic a little bit here. How do you come up with r routine? Do you invent the magic tricks yourself? I know there's a lot of secrecy behind all, yeah. you know, what's behind all the magic and, and that kind of stuff. Tell us about that inside world and how you come up with tricks and, and put together a routine. Before you can talk about the business side, before you can talk about the marketing, uh, you bring up a very good point. You really have to have as strong an act as possible before you can even consider these other things. So how do you get that? There's no real formula for success and creativity. So what I do is I just keep my mind open as much as possible. I go to as many magic lectures as possible. And uh, for you listeners who may not be familiar with this, there are actual magicians who go around the country and often the world and they lecture and sometimes to the public and they say, this is what I do and here's how I get away with it. And amazingly enough, muggles can actually visit and attend these lectures. Uh, there's a place in Studio City, very close to where you are, called the Magic Apple. And they have uh, lectures there once or even twice a month. Anybody can show up at these things. And some of these magicians come from around the world just to tell you how they came up with this trick. Learning magic from another magician, I think, is the strongest way of doing it. It's a shortcut. If you learn from a book or a video, that's great. But a magician will say, well, not only this is how you do it, I've been doing it for 20 years, and here are the mistakes that I made. Here are the things that went wrong. Now you can benefit from my struggles, and that's going to save you a lot of time. You don't often get that resource. You don't often get that opportunity from a book or a video, uh, something that's detached from you. The one-on-one -on -one kind of training makes all the difference. But that said, books are great. Videos are great. It's amazing what you can find on the Internet. People are always sharing ideas on YouTube and other places, and also considering private lessons. So many magicians are more than happy to be paid to teach you what they know. Uh -huh. So there are all kinds of possibilities. What are some of the core principles behind magic? I mean, I know there's like sleight of hand, for example, sure. that most people are familiar with. 
Are most tricks just sort of a, a version of some small core sets of principles? Have you ever invented, you know, your own tricks and that kind of thing? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, and this comes back to your original question, and I should have addressed that as well. So thank you for getting me That's back right. on track. Yeah. But yeah, um, as the saying goes, there's nothing original under the sun. And even if you think you've invented something, chances are good 20 years ago, 40 years ago, hundreds of years ago, someone came up with the same idea. And what you do is, if you think you've come up with an original idea, ask around and see if it is, in fact, original. 99% of the time, it won't be. And if you find the original idea, sometimes it can augment what you've already discovered on your own and phrase it in a new way that will only help your trick. 99% of tricks, though, outside of that, come from somewhere else. For instance, you attend a lecture, you uh, take a magic lesson, someone shows you something and you think, wow, that's great. And then it dawns on you, wait a minute, what if I can put my own spin on it? And a lot of purists say that there are certain classics you should never touch. But in my opinion, 99% of the time, anytime you see a trick, use it as an opportunity to think, if it speaks to you, if you want to include it in your act, 99% of the time, it makes sense to think, okay, I like that. I want to use it. How do I make it my own? What is it that I say? What is my patter? That's what they call it, patter. What patter should I use to make it my own? So it's not a carbon copy of this other guy's. And as you experiment with it, you're going to find new aspects of it that that other guy who showed it to you for whom it didn't occur to. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And suddenly you have something brand new, although it is resting on the shoulders of someone below you and before you. I see. Okay. Yeah, because I think most people, they don't realize necessarily that I I think, you know, when I see a a magician's act, there's a lot of creativity in there in terms of how they're framing. They're actually kind Mm -hmm. of telling a story while they're, you know, doing up there. You mentioned it's kind of like stand-up comedy in a way. So can you give us like an example of, you know, maybe a particular trick that you picked up from somebody, like what was the trick in particular, and then how did you make it your own? Certainly. One of my all-time favorite tricks, it's what I close with, and it's the trick that finally got me published. I'm finally a legit published member of the magic community, and it's a trick that I call real magic. Four years ago, I was attending the International Brotherhood of Magicians, the Hollywood chapter, which, again, is a club that any civilian can become a member of. And they give lectures as well. There was a lecturer, a guy named Pop Hayden, who I used to read about when I was a kid. He's from the South, much like me. He is now the vice president of the Magic Castle. And he was lecturing to the members of the ring, is what they're called. So he's lecturing to the ring and he shows a trick called a routine for the blind. And he told this story where he was doing magic in a restaurant. A lot of magicians do what they call strolling magic in restaurants. And he approached a table of a husband, a wife, and their daughter. And he says to the daughter, ma'am, I'd like you to pick a card. I want to do a magic trick for you. Well, the, the mom and dad, the husband and wife, they start getting really anxious and they reveal to him that their daughter was blind and therefore was unable to participate in any magic. Well, he reached back in the transom of his mind and he pulled out this magic trick from vaudeville where you have someone help you with a magic trick. It's impromptu. It's instantaneous. And the person who helps you doesn't have to see a thing. So he starts this trick with this blind girl, and he pulls out these cards, and he says, Miss, can you tell me what I'm holding? Is it red or black? And this blind girl is able to tell him 
whether or not it's red or black, and she's right every time. Her parents are freaking out, and all of a sudden, this girl who's never been a part of magic in her life, she's only heard of it, is now not only a part of it, she is the actual magician. This magician changed this family's life forever, and he called it Routine for the Blind. And I saw this lecture. It freaked me out. I will never forget the impact that he had on this family. And I thought, well, how do I make this trick myself? He even got to one point where he was able to say, I'm holding a card. Can you tell me what the card is? And she did. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be even cooler if the magician weren't a part of it at all? Because I always found it suspect that the magician still holding up the cards and looking at them himself. Is it possible he's communicating some information to the girl, even if she is blind, Mm -hmm. without the other people knowing or seeing? And so that was the instant uh, explanation. And I thought, what is it possible to eliminate even that explanation? And I started fooling around with it. I discovered my own version of it that eliminates that. So now I take it to a new level where the magician sees nothing. And yet this person who is not a magician is able to reveal not only the colors of the card, but the identities of the cards and it blows people away. It's how I end my act and it's maybe the trick I'm most known for. No, that's, that's great. That's a good example. Yeah. Thanks man. So let's jump back to the sort of the business side of things a little bit. Sure. I mean, do you, do you enjoy being in business for yourself or is it more of a necessity because you want to do what you want to do? Can you tell us, have you grown to, to like it? T- tell us about that aspect. That's a great question. It's one of the things that I'm struggling with the most because it can be so difficult. It can be so challenging, especially in the great recession that we've been going through. Guess what's the first thing to go? Entertainment. And it affected all of us across the board. And it got pretty desperate. And so I had to really focus on the business side. And I didn't enjoy it as much as performing. And I think that's true of most artists. And the one thing that helped me the most was to try to change my attitude, change my perspective, and realize that not only is this a necessary evil, but I shouldn't think of it as a necessary evil at all. Uh I should simply think of it as necessary. And if I can also approach it as, believe it or not, enjoyable... It will increase my resources, my opportunities. It'll make me sound more appealing to the client on the other end, even if it's on a subconscious level. My attitude toward this can really affect a lot. So I am trying to approach the business side as an enjoyable aspect. If I could enjoy it almost as much as being on stage, Mm -hmm. my business is going to increase. And that's what I'm trying to do right now. How do you do that? How do you convince yourself that this is actually a good thing or make it enjoyable? Are you still going through that process? What are what are your tricks to uh, to doing that if you could? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. How do you make it enjoyable? Well, of course you just keep thinking about your goals. What is it that I want? I want to make X number of dollars by the end of the year. How happy are you going to be if you actually get that goal or if you come close to it? And if you know that pursuing the business side will get you that much closer to the goal, hopefully you'll be more invested. Hopefully you'll feel like it's more fun than it was before. The more focused you get on as clear a goal as you can, as clear as you can make it, the more invested you'll be, the more excited you'll be about it. Hopefully, the more fun it will be for you. And then once you do get to do the quote-unquote real fun part, the actual performance of it, hopefully that will come through. You will already have established a rapport, a relationship with the client. They'll already see you as an expert in the field, and the audience is going to be better for you once 
you do perform that for them, and then your show's just going to be that much better. So, like you said, this is something that I am still struggling with right now, but I'm hoping that it's all cyclic, that it's all reciprocal, that it will feed on each other. So what's one of the biggest lessons you've learned in being in business for yourself? Wow, that's a very good question. (laughs) And I'm still learning it. I, I think the biggest lesson is to always remember that you still have lessons to learn. Uh, You never stop learning. You never stop working. I think that's the most important thing. No matter how good you get or you think you get, there's still more to learn. You need to have a certain amount of humility. There are some celebrities in the magic world who still understand that there's a whole universe out there and they behave and respond accordingly. And I think it makes them far more approachable as uh, performers and as human beings. So I think always learn, keep learning, keep attending those lectures, keep getting lessons if you can, keep reading books. Don't ever forget that no matter how much you know how far you've gone, there's still more to learn. I think that's my biggest lesson. No, that's great. That's great. Now, what about the opposite side of that? What mistakes have you made in running (laughs) your business? And how did you fix them? And what lessons did you learn from that? Because a lot of times, you know, uh, some of our mistakes have, have turned into real gems. This is true. And there's no better place than in magic. Often, When things go wrong, it forces you to look at a magic trick in a brand new way. Sometimes magic tricks are born from this event. Suddenly, they take the trick in a completely different direction. And again, chances are good someone's come up with that direction in the past, but it can completely change your outlook, uh, your act. I have learned that it does help to perform for kids because they are so brutally honest about how they feel about your act. They will tell you if they think you're talking too much. They will tell you if they think the trick is going on too long. (laughs) They will tell you if you accidentally flash that little silk that you hoped was hidden and concealed in your hand and that no one could see. Mm -hmm. They will tell you. Mm -hmm. A lot of adults won't, not because they don't want to, but because of the social precepts that have been drilled into our brains by the time we're adults. We're not supposed to say those things. So our act actually does suffer. There is a, an author who once said that once he had kids, he became a better author. Why? Because he would open a book and read the book to his kids, and the kids would tell him instantly if it was boring, if it needed to be edited, if it needed to go faster. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was because of his kids that he became a much more efficient and entertaining writer. I think that's true of magic. I think that's true of any creative art. You can really learn by performing for kids. That's great. What about the business side of things in terms of making mistakes? Ooh, yeah. (laughs) That's a very good question. Uh, That part is trickier because business, by definition, is risk. I don't think it's possible to have a successful business without going through some amount of risk. Mm -hmm. And risk, by definition, includes loss. It includes lack. It includes some amount of failure. And so I had to realize that Failure after failure after failure after failure was simply part of how it works. Eventually, it would get me down, and that could affect me as a businessman and me as a performer. They say that a lot of the most successful business people and a lot of the most successful artists, a lot of the most successful athletes fail more often than they succeed. 
And it is so tough to go through that failure and rejection. But once you embrace it as a learning process, but at the very least as just part of the process, you can get through it faster. It won't hold you back. And you can get to those successes a lot more quickly. So one of the questions that we ask uh, our guests is about leadership. Okay. And uh, what does leadership mean to you? Do you see yourself as a leader in the magic community or just maybe in, in, in running your own business? Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. The qualities that are required to be a leader can help anybody, whether you are a leader or not. I've often felt myself more of a team player. I enjoy working with other people. And since I'm still struggling every day to make my business a success, and I think that's just part of the process, I don't think of myself as a leader yet. However, if you do think of yourself as a leader just on personal terms, it can help drive your business. So for instance, the ring, the chapter of the International Brotherhood of Magicians asked me to lecture for them twice. And what they were saying to me was, we feel that you are an an expert in the field. Will you tell us what you know? In a sense, they were saying to me, you are a leader and we want you to tell us where to go or at least give us some ideas. And I had never approached magic this way before. I had to really sit down and not only think about what I believe, but defend it. And then I had to record it because I actually produce lecture notes, advice and tips and my experiences to share with the rest of the magic community. It forced me to be a leader, to tell them, hey, this is what I think you should do. Take it or leave it. But if you do take it, tell me how it goes. Hopefully it will work for you. And these are the kinds of things that leaders do. So even though I don't think of myself as at the pinnacle yet, uh, hopefully it will happen, I had to do some things that leaders do, give advice, really think about what they believed and why and defend it. And uh, one way you can do that is by giving a lecture, and even if you aren't giving a lecture, pretend that you are. (laughs) Sit down and write out what you believe as if you are giving lecture notes, as if you were giving a lecture, and it will crystallize everything that you are so quickly. They say the best way to be an expert or a leader in a field is to write a book about it. So sit down and hammer it all out and see how it changes you, and I guarantee it will. Great, great. So for the folks listening at home, maybe they're interested in magic or they're thinking about becoming a magician themselves. Do you have a trick or something that you, <laughs> that you can perform and then reveal how you do it so people kind of know the maybe a little behind the scenes, get a behind the scenes look at, at how everything happens? Okay. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I can't do anything too involved. Right. And I mean, we're just audio. so <laughs> Exactly. And it's such a challenge because magic, by definition, requires at least some props, a deck of cards, a pencil and a piece of paper, that kind of thing, or, or a, a box or a cage where something magically appears. And you simply can't do that over audio. However, the good news is some magicians have figured ways around this. And I I mentioned something earlier called mentalism, where you try to read people's minds. Well, I'm going to give a a quick example. It's very basic. It might not fool everybody, but I think it does address some of the things that we've been talking about, some of the principles of magic. So uh, we'll do this very quickly, and uh, I'll see if this works for you. And your listeners can follow along, too. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what different outcomes occur at at the end. So here we go. Uh, Sean, think of any number you wish and tell me when you got it. I got it. Cool. Now double it. Oh, I should have thought of a smaller number. (laughs) Okay. Well, you can if you want. No, no. Okay. I got it. You got it? Are you sure? Yeah. Now add 10. Okay. Cool. Now divide that in half. Oh, boy. I know. Can you do that? 
Yeah. Now subtract your original number, the number you started with. Okay. Cool. Is your answer five? Yes. Sweet. Okay. Hooray. <laughs> cool. So your answer is five. Now here's the fun part, Sean. Hopefully some of your listeners were following along. And if they follow the directions just as you did, they came with the same conclusion. Hopefully all of your listeners came up with a number five. That's kind of cool. Right. Yeah. So we did something interactive that your listeners were able to do. And uh, I'm hoping that they were at least a little surprised when they heard your voice say five and they discovered that was their very number as well. Right. Now, the cool thing about this is that obviously they can think of any number. I had absolutely no control over what you thought of. A lot of these mentalism tricks where a magician says, hey, think of a number, they often couch it under very specific boundaries like mm-hmm. uh, hey think of a number oh but it's got to be between 10 and 20 right I don't think that's quite as magical with this one you can think of any number and it's so simple all of your listeners can do it immediately so uh, do you want to talk about the mechanics of this it's actually kind of simple well it's just a math thing right yes but you do have to follow those very specific rules yeah, yeah. but I mean what's interesting is that you're not actually telling me what my number is you're telling me what the answer is so there's a little right. there's a little bit of misdirection there in terms of you know you're, you're saying think of a number I actually think that you're going to tell me my number at the end but in fact you're not that's true right. yeah however there are plenty of ways around that uh, when I do my normal show I could have you think of any number you wanted to and I would be able to divine that number however the problem is that requires certain things pieces of paper pencils props that kind of thing mm-hmm. that almost all magic shows require since we don't have that availability and I did want to share something with your audience as well yeah, that's uh, right. I had to give an example that required absolutely no props so you're right there is uh, we're the blind man so to speak right, exactly the blind man yeah so with every trick there is uh, a certain price that you have to pay so unfortunately I can't give you your actual number but uh, it is cool that not only did the trick work but hopefully it worked for everyone listening as well as long as they're good at math right yeah, <laughs> yeah. but the good news is the, the operations are pretty simple you just add uh, you double it and then you just add 10 then you cut it in half then you subtract the original number and like you said if they don't come up with too crazy a number at the beginning they should be able to do this in their minds but if they can't they can just write it down great so um, you mentioned before that you had uh, that you really valued having mentors and that kind of thing. Can you mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit more about that in terms of what they've really done for you or helped transform yourself uh, in your you know you as a magician and you as a business person? Uh, certainly, uh, and like I said, attending these lectures make a big difference. You never know when your next trick is going to appear, and it's often by following these mentors. Uh, this guy was kind of a mentor for me before I even met him. I used to read his stuff all the time and read his theory about magic, which greatly influenced me. So to answer your question, I would suggest learning about as many different magicians as you can, seeing them on TV, seeing them on YouTube, maybe picking up a DVD if you can, and deciding who you like or whom you like is a more grammatically correct way of putting it. Once you decide who those people are, you can think two things. One, why do I like them? Two, how does that affect me? How do I reflect those interests and those strengths? And then three, how do I meet these people? Because it's not like trying to chase Robert De Niro and trying to get into his brain and figure out how he is Mm -hmm. an actor and what is his process. 
99% of these magicians are available. They are accessible. They do go on tour. You can connect with them via the internet on their website. You can email them and ask them questions specifically about their tricks. Once you buy it, of course, they will be happy to tell you anything you want to know. And uh, that's just a great way of evolving. And you can ask them uh, questions about how to become a better business person. I was tired of struggling. I was tired of always being broke. So I watched people who, one, not only claimed to be good business people in the art but to actually were and I said what can I do to improve and I've been doing that ever since no that's great and you know I especially remember back to my days at box office mojo for example Mm -hmm. a competitor in a different space shall we say in the tv space once called me up and I was I was really happy to talk to him and sort of share share ideas and stuff and we really helped him out and uh, you know I I formed a, a friendship there and it was a valuable relationship for me too so I think people can really be surprised uh, how receptive even maybe their competitors will be to even talking to you. So. Oh, yeah. And you never know. Eventually, a competitor could be an ally. It could yeah. certainly happen. Absolutely. Yeah. What is it about magic that really attracts you to it? Why do, why do you love magic, Micah? Other than trying to get girls to notice me. You yes, other, <laughs> other than that. Yeah, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. I just love the idea that every time you learn a secret, it opens a door for you to make you realize that there are more secrets out there to be learned. Every trick is like that, and it really does make me think of a scientist. Every time they examine something and they learn it completely, once they learn it completely, they realize they have so much more to learn. Uh, it's, It's from the Greek philosophy that the more you know, the more you know that you don't know anything. Right. And um, that is what, as the saying goes, a wise man understands. The more he understands, the more he knows that he has so much more to understand. I love the the mysterious part of that that is true in all kinds of fields of understanding, research, and, and art. And that really excites me. I can't wait to learn my next trick. I can't wait to discover the next secret and to, to make it my own. And finally, I just love connecting with the audience. I come from a background in theater and improv. I love that connection. I love changing people's lives for the better. I love making them believe, even for an instant, that maybe the impossible is possible, even if it is just an illusion. I love that part. So how is being a magician different from, you know, an actor or a stand-up comic? I think there's elements of that in uh, in that. But can you, tell, can you compare and contrast that a little bit? Oh, certainly. The two on many levels are completely synonymous between a magician and other forms of theatrical entertainment like an actor, like a stand-up comic. If you can do the latter, it will certainly help you do the former. The difference is, and I see this especially with stand-up comedy, is that we have props. We have something that is designed to deliver a payoff at the end. If you are a stand-up comic... You have that payoff. It's called a punchline. Right. If that punchline doesn't work, you are up a creek, and the audience is going to turn on you. But these magic tricks are designed to create a punchline that will not only entertain, but surprise and will mystify, hopefully, the audience, fool the audience. That specific advantage that we have over actors and stand-up comedians. But outside of that, there's not a whole lot of difference between the two. We're just constantly trying to make a connection with the audience. And in a sense, that is even more important than the punchline or even how well the trick works. If they end up liking you and are entertained, the rest is almost incidental. So what advice can you offer to anyone who's thinking about starting their own business? 
Wow. Um, get a degree in business. <laughs> <laughs> read as much as you can about marketing. Read as many self-help books as you can and decide from those self-help books what really works for you. And get ready to work your butt off. Get ready to not only really believe in yourself, but have that belief tested all the time. And continue, despite those obstacles, to believe in yourself. That's the only way I know how to make a business work, and I'm still working on that myself today. Great, great. So, Micah, tell us how people can find you or, or hire you and whatnot, or if they're interested in dating you. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> tell, us how pe- <laughs> tell us how people can uh, find you and Micah's Magic. Certainly. Well, uh, you just said it. It's called Micah'sMagic.com. It's my first website. It starts with my name. M-I-C-A-H, and then S as in Sam, magic, micahsmagic.com. It's kind of my umbrella website that gives you an idea of all the different kinds of things that I do. I also do a very specific magic show called Haunted House Calls. It's a ghost story set to a magic show, and it's one of my all-time favorite things to do. I go into your living room, and I tell this ghost story with magic interwoven into the plot, and it's called Haunted House Calls, so you can go to hauntedhousecalls.com. And those are the two best ways to reach me, and I would love to hear from you. All right, great. Thanks a lot, Micah, for coming on the show today and sharing with us some of your secrets. And, uh, <laughs> My pleasure, we, man. We enjoyed hearing about uh, and learning about uh, being a magician and whatnot, and we wish you a profitable future. Dude, thank you. And same, same to you. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to The Independent Entrepreneur. The show's theme song, Tommy in the Morning, is by Pete Hutlinger and used with his permission. All other content on this show is copyright 2011 by Sean Salisbury. We hope you've enjoyed this interview. For more information and to listen to other interviews, please visit www.indiebizshow.com. That's www.indybiz.com. S-H-O-W dot com.